Hey, Griffin. Hey, Henry. All right, all is well now. Uh, to listeners, this is the second take of our uh, podcast, so just stay with us here. Um, but yeah, so welcome to our latest episode of The Generation Elect. Uh, we haven't had one in about two weeks. Um, I personally have been bogged up in a lot of final exams and all this. Uh, it's been a busy couple weeks, you know, end of the school year. But um, yeah, we got, a, we got an episode, and now that school year's ending, it'll be summer soon. Hopefully we get some stuff out on a constant schedule, which would be, which would be good. Um, so yeah, how are you, Griffin? Well, stressed. I mean, oh. I have several finals coming up. Uh, which, ones first, you, which ones uh, do you have? Yeah. Um, see, I got a math final. I have a Spanish final. Got an English final. Oddly enough, <laughs> I also got a social studies final. I got a my first Regents Algebra One. Ooh. Are you taking Geometry Regents or? Um, now nah, I'm also taking Algebra One Regents. Oh, great. So yeah. maybe you can help him with the, the arithmetic sequences. Don't know how to do those. But, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm kind of nervously anticipating those. But, uh, yeah, let's see how they go on Wednesday. But anyway, back to the podcast here. Um, yeah, so uh, we got um, – this will be our first ep- – this will be our second episode of the month of June here. Um, we have a big announcement here at Generation Elect. Uh, next Sunday I will be talking to – the executive director of the DNC Organizing Corps and a former uh, worker and uh, volunteer with Barack Obama's campaigns, Rachel Haltom Irwin will be joining us next Sunday, the 23rd. So stay tuned for that. That will be very interesting. And I hope you all enjoy our conversation. Um, yeah, so we have a lot of news to catch up to this week. Uh, as always in the Trump administration, you know, stuff happens and uh, we will talk about it. Um, but the Democratic debates, the first of this incredibly chaotic uh, season, will be will be happening uh, a bit more than a week later, around ten days, the twenty sixth and the twenty seventh, and we'll be talking about those. Um, a Trump, uh, a big influential person in the Trump cabinet, has left her position, and she may have aspira- aspirations of her own. And finally, um, Susan Collins, the notable Republican senator, has some pressure building up under her. So we'll be talking about all that, but. The Democratic debates are coming up in 10 days. Griffin, what can you tell us about those? So they're sorted into two groups, each of 10, because they can't fit 20 people in the one debate. Now, the first is on June 26th. It is uh, Cory Booker, Elizabeth Warren, Beto O'Rourke, Amy Klobuchar, John Delaney, Tulsi Gabbard, Julian Castro, Tim Ryan, Bill de Blasio, and Jay Inslee all going up against each other. And on the second night, June 27th, it is Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Pete Buttigieg, Kirsten Gillibrand, Michael Bennett, Marianne Williamson, Eric Swalwell, Andrew Yang, and John Hickenlooper. So, yeah, this is different than what Republicans did in 2015 leading up to debates where um, they had a lot of candidates. That, so they divided it up into two sessions, like a lower league and an upper league session, uh, the George Pataki debates, as I called them versus like the real debates but um yeah democrats are doing it a bit differently they, they don't want to divide they don't want to divide them up based on polling instead it's um completely random divided up in two nights uh which one which one do you prefer do you think this is a better system than what the republicans used or well i mean it's better than the little uh i call it the kitty table debate yeah that yeah. the republicans had but there's still you can notice um something about the debates on the second night, you have 
four out of the top five candidates debating each other. Now, the top candidates in polling so far are Biden, Bernie, um, Warren, Buttig- Harris, um, Warren, and Pete Buttigieg. And all um, but Warren are in the yeah, second night. Yeah, all but Warren are on the second night. And do you think that benefits Warren or hurts her? I actually think this might actually um, benefit Warren because she isn't facing – she isn't going to have to go up against Bernie with whom she has quite similar policies. Warren is seen as more of a policy wonk, less activist, less grassroots, more kind of to the point. Um, doesn't really use rhetoric as much. She's trying to really – labor into the points that she's trying to build, which I think could be a very successful strategy to paint against some of the more moderate Democrats who are in this debate, like John Delaney. Mm-hmm. So you think it helps her? I I personally think, I see the arguments for it helping her. You know, she gets the night to herself to shine. She gets to be the big star of that debate. But um, I think that there will be some aspects that hurt her. I mean, we've seen her push an anti-Biden rhetoric. I mean, she said in a campaign rally, she kind of, uh, she didn't say it, but she paraphrased and she implied the fact that she's going after the moderates like Joe Biden. And um, that, that's a big target of hers. So to see her not being able to debate Joe Biden is, um, I think, something that their campaign isn't, isn't thrilled about. I see why they're happy not to debate Bernie Sanders, because that would have um, caused some awkward moments, I think, with the two very socialist policies. Um yeah, but for Warren, uh, she's rising in the polls. And uh, do you think now she has a clear path to nomination with these, uh, with this debate set up and, you know, her rise? Well, this is all going to depend on what happens in the second debate, because she can rise after um, her debate, debating against the other candidates. But also Joe Biden could do well in uh, his debate and rise as well. So or he this- could be... Yeah, or he could be completely flat. I mean, I don't think it's helping Joe Biden that he's in the same debate as Pete Buttigieg, a man who's like, who's really, who really produces sound bites. He really gets the crowd going. And if Biden and Buttigieg are compared next to each other from a voter who doesn't know much, they're going to pick Buttigieg, I think, because he is the more yeah. inspirational, relatable candidate. So mm-hmm. I don't know how much that helps Biden. What, what do you think the Biden campaign was thinking after this debate draw? I think the Biden campaign would be extra focused on trying to take on some of the more progressive candidates. Bernie Sanders, Yang, uh, maybe even Marion Williamson. There are some candidates that are just going to sort of mimic Biden that are kind of these boring uh, white men who um, don't really inspire the Democratic base as much, such John as Hickenlooper. Bennett and John Hickenlooper. I yeah. feel like Bernie is probably going to bring the attack to them and try to sink them as much as possible. Well, Bernie Sanders does have a rivalry with John Hickenlooper. So I think John Hickenlooper has criticized Bernie for being too left and too moderate the other way around. But yeah. Yeah. And Um, you also notice, um, one thing I noticed is that in the second night, you have two candidates from the same home state, Colorado. And they're very similar on the issues. And that would be Hickenlooper and... Bennett. Bennett, yes. Yeah, they're the same on every issue so far except the Electoral College. I know, and uh, John Hickenlooper vehemently opposes the Green New Deal, so uh, that's something... Bennett opposes it, too. Bennett does? Okay. I know that John Hickenlooper wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post. It might have been the Washington Post about why we don't need that, and that, that really caught my eye. But, um... So out of all these candidates, 
who is the big winner from this uh, debate drill? Who's like, who in your opinion do you think is the most happy with this? Well, let's see. If I let's go to the first night, uh, the start. So, looking back to the candidates, Booker. Uh, I don't really see Booker. Booker, Cory Booker is, I think, just really generic. He has charisma, but he's his policy is- proposals are really generic. Yeah. Not much. Not very many of his ideas are unique and distinct from others. Uh, I think he could, uh, you know, get into some interesting conversations at the debates, though. Yeah, I think he can uh, bring about a modest performance, but not one that's going to be um, earth-shaking. Like now, I have a, I have someone who I really do think is probably ecstatic about how this, um, how this debate drawing went, and it's someone who might. Viewers might, uh, listeners might not expect, but I think Amy Klobuchar right now Ooh. is really happy about this. Hey, really? Because, so, Amy Klobuchar, we all know, is a very moderate Democrat. Um, she is among the Biden, the Biden Hickenlooper group, and uh, she her polling numbers aren't very strong. She's she even pulled at zero percent in one of the five thirty eight polls, but um, she's hanging in there. She's alive. She's in a better status than people like Gillibrand. But um, the thing is about Amy Klobuchar. She's in this first debate. This first debate is supposed to be Elizabeth Warren's night. And I've been, I've been thinking a lot about this ever since the draw was made. And this is supposed to be Elizabeth Warren's night where she's going to go on her break up big tech uh, socialist, cam- socialist campaign. And that's, that's good for her. But the, opposition, the only opposition to that will be Amy Klobuchar. I mean, John Delaney is a moderate Democrat, but Klobuchar yeah. is a bigger name. And Klobuchar is going to be that uh, direct opposition to Warren. So for a voter like watching the first debate who doesn't maybe know about um doesn't really maybe know about this field as as much as other people do i think that klobuchar can be inherently appealing to a moderate democrat like if a question about the green new deal comes up it's going to be warren versus klobuchar and um yeah having klobuchar in that direct battle will will help her a hundred percent and i think her polling is going to slowly rise is there someone you think their polling is going to rise after this debate, just the way they're put. Uh, the possibly they're Tulsi Gabbard. I feel that she can put a lot of emphasis on foreign policy that could probably get her um, some more enthusiasm amongst her supporters. Beto O'Rourke, I mean, with Beto O'Rourke, he was good for Texas, but I don't think he can really resonate with voters beyond Texas. No, I think that been... Beto, like, no, I think you see him, sorry for interrupting you, but I think you see him, uh, like, it's going to be a Warren versus Klobuchar all yeah. out in the first debate, and I'm not sure where he fits into that. I think he's more toward Warren than uh, Klobuchar, but he's still very in the middle. I don't know. Yeah. You know who I also think could see some bumps from the first night of debating? Yeah. Tim Ryan and Jay Inslee. Because well, Ryan and Inslee are both promoting different issues, but they could probably gain some steam. Uh, Ryan is mainly proposing issues. Um, He's a proponent of workers' rights. He's um, yeah labor unions, coal, um, coal mines. Yeah, he really want to uh, reform that. of trade deals. Inslee is putting an emphasis on climate change. Uh, he's quite upset that there isn't a um, debate dedicated to climate change. And you know, Jay Inslee is um uh, one of the you know who I'm supporting in this primary. Like I'm I'm I will be registered Democrat hopefully in a few years. Mm-hmm. But um like. Who I'm, who I'm supporting this primary has changed around. It's gone from Gillibrand to Kamala to Buttigieg. But Jay Inslee has always been on that list, and I really think that 
he's going to slip under the radar, but I like him a lot. He's really smart, and I think he'll be an interesting person to talk with at the, at the debates. I think Tim Ryan's going to yell and scream a lot and move his hands in uh, various acute positions near his head because <laughs> he seems to enjoy doing that. But, um, yeah, so we've gone to the first night of debates. Uh, what oh, yeah. The second night. Um, do you think this hurts the DNC that four out of the five candidates will be on that second night? I mean, it's going to be entertaining for the viewers, yes. but yeah. Yes, I'm pretty sure people are not going to be happy that there are four of the five highest polling candidates in one debate. Now, there are some... Uh, now, one thing about the polling candidates is there are about seven um, who are consistently polling above 1%, and that is... Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, Bernie, uh, Mayor Pete, Warren, Cory Booker, and Warren. Now, and uh, oh, so, yeah, Mayor Pete. Yeah, I think I already so. mentioned Mayor Never Pete. Mind. Yeah. yeah. Um, th- they're the ones that poll over one percent consistently. Mm-hmm. Now there are some who occasionally like reach two percent, like Klobuchar Charn Yang and Julian Castro, but th- these candidates are always polling over one uh, percent. So. With the exception of Warren and Booker, I mean, you, you already got a bunch of them who are in the second debate. So uh, it could definitely be seen as sort of unfair. It can be lopsided. Yeah, and, um, lopsided. Yeah, you know, I think that uh, Kamala Harris is in the second debate, and I think there's a big worry that she's going to slip under the cracks because mm-hmm. we all know – I mean, she already has slipped under the cracks. You know, I thought she'd be the front runner by the stage. I remember we were discussing on this podcast a few months ago how we thought that um, Kamala Harris would be doing better than she is right now. I mean, are you surprised by her underachieving? What do you what what were you expecting from Kamala? She lived up. Yeah. Well, one, I thought that uh, back in January when we did a podcast, it was actually my first. Yeah, I remember that. Ah, uh, feels like forever ago. Um, <laughs> And now I remember she was getting a bit of a bump in polling, and I think I had a false sense that Kamala was going to keep rising, but eventually she began to bump down. There was a brief surge of Beto after he announced, and then yeah, was, that was yeah Mayor Pete. But I think up in April, and now, the real momentum killer to Beto and Kamala was right after Pete the judge did a CNN town hall. That's yeah. when he really started to rise. He really started to get the hype train. People started, you know, knowing who he was. And that's yeah. only hurt Kamala and Beto. Yep. I mean, he's been the flavor of the month for the last four months. And uh, yeah. there's no room for Kamala to get, get in there. Yeah. But, yeah, I think there's a real, unless Kamala Harris creates all the sound bites she wants and really gets involved, it's going to be hard for her to stand out above those yeah. three. But, um, yeah, so any I mean, obviously, we're going to cover the debates much more as they go on. But any uh, final thoughts about how uh, we got our debates set up? Or um... I feel like there's going to be an interesting exchange between Yang and Bernie Sanders regarding uh, universal basic income. That's um... the freedom dividend. Yeah, yeah, freedom dividend. That is Yang's signature policy proposal. Bernie is not tagging along with it. Um, and um, they also... Yang and Bernie Sanders also differ on other issues. For example, Andrew Yang does not favor the wealth tax that has been proposed by Bernie Sanders. He um, is, um, Andrew Yang is, uh, yeah, well, he's a wealthy businessman, but he has some very economically conservative views. Yeah, but go on. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, Yang also came out against a ban on assault weapons, oddly enough. He is the only Democrat so far to oppose a ban on assault weapons. I feel that he's going to be in conflict with Swalwell over this. Swalwell's big on gun, uh, gun control. Yeah. Um, Hickenlooper, Hickenlooper is known for opposing the Green New Deal. Um, Bennett opposes it too. I feel like the candidates who do support the Green New Deal, which from the looks of it, it's probably everyone except those two Colorado. There are some people like, I mean, I don't think Joe Biden's going to come out and say, I support the Green New Deal. I mean, I was at a Paul Tonko town hall a couple of weeks ago, and uh, he didn't come out and say, I support the Green New Deal. There was a, there was a pretty angry uh, town hall. I got to ask a question about a carbon tax or a cap and trade. I mean, I get, I found a way to ask a question at every town hall I've been to. Which is kind of nice, but um, Lucky I went to a Gillibrand one too and uh, asked a question there. But uh, yeah, I, I asked a question. But anyway, like this one guy asked a question about the Green New Deal and Paul Tonko, who's not really even a moderate. I mean, he's um on the scale of you know leftness to moderate. Like he's probably with a uh, Kamala Harris and uh, any um out of town viewers. Uh, Paul Tonko is our local representative. Yep. But yeah, I don't think that if Paul Tonko is not gonna say yes to the Green New Deal, I don't see Joe Biden doing yeah. that. But definitely Bernie is going to... Yeah, Bernie, definitely. Yeah. Bernie and Warren, and probably Kamala, too. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah. so debates will be on the 26th and the 27th. Yeah, we, will we are definitely, definitely have coverage of those, yeah. But um, yeah, so let's move on. Uh, tell us which um, member of Trump's cabinet has left. Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Daughter of... Very Mike Huckabee, no, governor of Arkansas <laughs> from 1996 to 2007. That's what her dad did. Ran for president twice. Um, had one pretty serious run and then yeah, another, one, not very one that actually run. went well and one that was horrible. Yep. Which uh, um, a lot of those friends known were. for basically being Trump's um, White House press secretary, if I'm right. Um, yep. And having that thick southern accent and trying to trying their best to cover up everything that the donald does now i feel myself like slipping into that accent almost like (laughs) thing i don't know i can't i'm just gonna resist (laughs) Uh, that but yeah go on donald donald trump tweeted when she announced he was leaving the white house that she should run for governor of arkansas which is um not a good idea but yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but um Sarah Huckabee Sanders, you know, she's known for uh she is she and uh the pers- people who came before her, which was uh very briefly Anthony Scaramucci and Sean Spicer, they're known for not telling the truth. Um, you know, they that's not something they do very often and uh uh Sarah Huckabee Sanders says she wants to be remembered for being uh completely um honest and <laughs> transparent. And that set off a whole spew of Twitter retweets that uh, pretty much mocked her for that, which was um, probably deserved, definitely deserved based on her history of uh, of mistruth. But um, yeah, so how much of a is this, do you think this is a, a surprise? Do you think Trump had her back all the way, or was this firing? Was this no, firing because she wanted to do new things? Or I'm curious what you thought. Yeah. Now, so many people have left the White House. The Trump White House after being a part of it. The list just goes on and on and on with cabinet members. I'm not too surprised that Sarah Huckabee Sanders left. Now, I, I, it was sort of unexpected. However, 
I knew that someone in the Trump cabinet would probably uh, leave office soon. Yeah, I mean, like the Trump cabinet is like being like being in the Trump cabinet is like being the defense of the dark arts teacher in Harry Potter. Yeah, like you're gonna leave soon after one year at most. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that I don't think this was like I mean, Trump's fired. I'm, I must be in triple digits by now, but no. But I mean, he's he's fired a lot of people because like he's mad at them. Like Rex Tillerson called him a moron. I think like um. You know, uh, Scott Pruitt had some disagreements. Like, Trump's just fired a lot of people. But there have been some cases where, like, and Nikki Haley, too, ambassador to the UN, like, Nikki Haley and now Sarah Huckabee Sanders, you know, Trump has fired them or parted ways with them, not because he's been mad at them, just because he wants them to do other things or they want to do other things. And I think that she does want to run for governor of Arkansas. And however um, unusual a career path may be, be, it would be interesting to see. Yeah. Uh, is there a seat open for that? Um, Arkansas would be 2022. Okay. Uh, Governor Hutchison is term limited. Oh, really? Yeah. He 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 won re-election in 2018. He can't run for another term in 2022. So being term limited, if you can clarify this for me, this that applies in all states. I know that Cuomo is not term limited. Mm-hmm. Okay, but Kasich was. That's why Kasich. Yeah, Kasich was term limited. Few others yeah. were. Yeah, so I think the Alaska governor is not. I, I go to Alaska, um, and I love keeping up with their politics. Very interesting. Alaska. Oh, it's so great. I mean, like you got like the best Republican senator ever in Alaska, Lisa Murkowski, and then you got um the best congressman ever who owns my favorite cafe in Alaska, Les Guerra, and yeah, um, Alaska politics is weird, but it's good. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I guess Sarah Huckabee Sanders leaves. Uh, I wonder who the next press secretary is going to be. Um, I mean, it's always a Mick Mulvaney. Door. Mick Mulvaney is like, isn't act- he already something else? He is the <laughs> OMB director and acting White House chief of staff. Why not give him another job? Oh my goodness! I mean, the Trump revolving door right now is so crazy. I don't even know. I couldn't even name major people in this candidate. Like, who even is a secretary of state right now? Uh, the Secretary of State is Pompeo. It's still him? Okay. Yeah. So about... uh, I have a list of the Trump cabinet members who um, have been there since the beginning. Why and as you're it? watching it online, <laughs> you just click reload and it changes. Right? Right. Uh, <laughs> well, let's see here. Uh, Mnuchin. Oh, yeah. Sonny Perdue, Wilbur Ross, Alex Acosta, Ben Carson, Elaine Chow, Rick Perry. Bet- yeah, what has happened to Rick Perry? I have heard nothing about Rick Perry. I mean... He's he's been, he's been in the White House the whole time. Didn't get fired. Oh, and also, also uh, shame on Steve Mnuchin. Uh, he stopped the Harriet Tubman bill, which really angered me. That was like not good for technical reasons. I mean, I don't like that he stopped that, but you know, I mean, he's gonna do the evil John Oliver, as I like to call him, Steve Mnuchin. <laughs> but yeah, um, so yeah, uh, Trump's cabinet ever changing ever moving um it's always interesting and kind of frighteningly weird to see what's happening over there but um finally we're going to talk about um uh there are plenty of senate re-elections in 2020 including susan collins so tell us about the latest development happening there so um our good friend susan collins the moderate republican from maine is facing a tough challenge um she's about to face a challenge from the Speaker of the Maine House of Representatives, a young Democrat, um, 
named Sarah Gideon, who's um, going to be a very tough challenge. Probably one of the tougher she's faced, especially after the vote on Kavanaugh. Yeah, and, um, you know, she made a lot of friends from from the Democratic aisle by voting against uh, the American Care Act, which is basically um, uh, an act that took a lot of people's health care away to save money. I mean, would you agree that the American Health Care Act, which is Trump's planned way to uh, to replace Obamacare, it covered less people? And uh, I think she knew that. Murkowski knew that. McCain knew that. That's why they voted against it. But um, yeah, she got a lot of credit for that by the Democrats. And I think a lot of people forget that she's a pro-choice Republican. She's one of four Republicans in Congress who are part of the Republicans for choice um, little mini party. And uh, I like that. But ever since she voted for Kavanaugh, she caved under public pressure. She has been a mortal enemy of the Democratic Party. And many people have stepped up to try to beat her. But do you think this person can? Well, if you look at Susan Collins's electoral history, well, she was elected in 1996. And it was a close race because she was going against a former governor. So that that one is um, predictable. It was predictably close. Oh, two, she faced a state senator, but she won by a pretty decent margin, like in the high 50s. Uh, Oh, eight, she faced one of the state's congressmen, won with about 60% of the vote. Um, And 2014, she faced some no-name, I think she, like, some Democrat who worked for the ACLU, and Collins got close to 70% of the vote. So she's won pretty convincingly in the past. The exception of the first year she was elected, she's been on a winning streak. Like so do you think, do, do you think the seat is still, is still, uh, is still, um, is still open for the Democrats to take, or Up is Susan ground. Collins the favorite? Yeah. Well, let's see here. I think Gideon is a formidable challenger. However, it's difficult to say if she can beat Suzanne Collins because and- Suzanne Collins is um Suzanne Collins sticks to Maine like gum sticks to a wall. Yeah, and honestly, like um Obama and a uh, big person in the Obama candidate cabinet susan rice was uh there were whispers of her running against susan collins and that would have been i think a much stronger challenger uh she isn't running actually yes no i no i know she's not not i'm saying that yeah. would have been a much more stronger challenger i yep. think because she's uh, name recognition and all yeah. that but yeah yeah one of maine's congressman gerald golden who's from the northern conservative area maine he was thinking about it but now he's um passed off so yeah, and you see all these uh, Democrats passing off on big elections. I mean, I mean Susan Rice, and then you see Stacey Abrams with a big chance in Georgia to claim a Senate seat there, and she chooses not to do that. Who knows what Stacey Abrams will do next? Then you see in Texas, Julian Castro opts to run for president instead of run for John Cornyn's seat, which uh, was yeah, and his brother also opted to avoid that. Race. Yeah, I, that's a <laughs> hard choice. And then you, I mean. It's good that in Arizona we have astronaut uh, Mark Kelly running for Martha McSally's yeah. seat. That's very good, I think. Yeah. But um, what do you think Democrats' Senate chances are? Is that – I think they're – I don't well, think they're favorites. Oh, let's see but, yeah. here. They're, they're going – they're probably going to lose Alabama. Um, Doug, Doug, you think Doug Jones is going to lose? Yeah. I mean, I don't think the GOP is going to nominate Roy Moore. They're probably going to nominate, like, Tommy Tuberville, possibly. 
Ryan Moore would be a stupid nomination. Yeah, I mean, even if he does run, they'll probably lose. Uh, Colorado, I think Democrats... Colorado is possible. Yeah, the Centennial State, the Democrats are going to take that. I'm very confident that they will. That would be great, because Cory Gardner knows he's under pressure. He's voted with the Democrats yeah. before. He's um, like, yeah... It's a good spot for that. Uh, Kelly in Arizona is a pretty good candidate. He can probably take that seat. But Everyone loves an astronaut, yeah. Um, North Carolina, I think, could probably provide a good opportunity. I didn't know that was up. Is that a... Um, yeah, Tillis. Tillis. Oh, Tom Tillis? Yeah, unpopular Republican senator. He's not very popular, but, like, I think that... I mean, we saw, we saw Democrats launch a grassroots yeah. campaign to try to knock Ted Cruz off, and it almost worked. I mean, it came closer than we thought. So Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham are up, and I would love nothing more in my whole life for Mitch McConnell to lose an election. In fact, I would trade all my Christmas and birthday gifts for the rest of my life for Mitch McConnell to be voted out. I would, I would, like, I would give up, like, so much for Mitch McConnell to be – that's how much I hate the guy. But um, if Mitch McConnell would be voted out, if Democrats could launch, like, a grassroots um, – campaign against him that would just be the best thing yeah kentucky yeah kentucky actually has a lot of registered democrats but they yeah like massachusetts or new york democrats these are a lot of them are rural democrats and same in uh same in south carolina there is already a movement we don't know sorry not south carolina um oh my goodness i'm blanking i'm so stupid where does lindsey graham lindsey graham is from south carolina Yes. Okay, I'm sorry. But anyway, Lindsey Graham, uh, there is already a movement to get Lindsey Gra- to get um voters registered. We don't know who the nominee is. It's going to be a process, but um there people have been uh people yeah. have been, you know, circling back to like get people registered in, yeah. in South Carolina to try to beat Lindsey Graham cuz nobody likes. Him. Yeah. Well, Lindsey <laughs> Graham has an opponent already. Oh, really? Um James Harrison, who is the chair of the South Carolina Democratic Party is running. But he has to go through a primary ad, the same, right? Yeah. yeah All right. Yeah. I'm um, glad that there are being effort, efforts being yeah. made. I also oh, got... Amy McGrath, who lost um, a Kentucky Senate seat in uh, 20... House... Oh, sorry, House seat in 2018. She might run against um, Mitch McConnell. I like her a lot. Uh, I follow her on social media. She's really smart. She's a military veteran. She could give Mitch McConnell a run for her money, run for his money. But, yeah. Um, there's yeah. actually a very unique candidate in Montana. He is um, named Wilmot Collins. He's the first African-American mayor in the state of Montana because that, that state is paper um, And he's running against a Republican, Steve Daines. And speaking of Montana, Montana is actually a very unique state. I, I'll do like a quick segment. Now, yeah. it, it consistently votes Republican. But aside from the presidential level, it is very much a purple state because you have John Tester, uh, their senator. And... John Tester, who our interview guest soon worked on campaign with, 06. Mm-hmm. As well as Steve Bullock. Um, there's also, um, there's this, Bullock can't run for re-election. So a bunch of Democrats and Republicans are trying to. That's why Bullock's running for president, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well. Here are some of the. Well, one of the candidates is Greg Gianforte, who is Montana's one congressman, most notably body slamming a reporter a couple of years ago. Well, uh, he's running a. It's a crowded field for the governorship already. Like the state attorney generals in 
think a couple state senators are in it as well. Um, there's also the U.S. House seat where, like, this really young Democrat is running. Uh, the Montana Secretary of State, who's a Republican, is running. I mean, it's this year is unique in the way that Montana could tra- transition to a really deep red state or a really deep blue state. A lot of states like, are at that pathway, too. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And, yeah, finally, one last note on the Senate. Um, I think uh, we're screwed in Michigan, at least Democrats. Oh, yeah, John um, James is running. John James is running, and he's um everything the Republicans have been searching for. Uh, he could be a future nominee for president. I mean, he's a charismatic African-American Republican who really, like, who's running against a pretty boring Democratic opponent. So I am not looking forward to how that one turns out. If I had to put money on it, I think John James wins yeah. that. But, um, um, yeah, we had a one listener question over the week, okay. um, and that is uh, how do you think uh, Senator Gillibrand's chances are in the 2020 election? Uh, Gillibrand was spelled with a J, but I assume that he means Gillibrand spelled with a G. And um, it's pretty low. You'd agree, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. She's not going to become the nominee. No, not no chance. But uh, yeah, thank you for. Uh, oh, I have uh, just one last thing to mention. Uh, you'll like this. Yeah. So um, there's a Republican from a suburban congressional district in Indiana, a uh, moderate Republican. Her name is Susan Brooks, mm-hmm. and uh, she's retiring. Now, this district has been long been held by Republicans, but it's a suburban district, and the Democrat who ran actually did quite well. So with her retirement, a very, very Republican district that has been held by Republicans for generations could move into play as Democrats are seeing a surge in suburbs. Yeah, uh, suburb areas are, as we saw in the midterms, it really really worked well for the Democrats. But um, yeah, so we're probably going to wrap things up here. Uh, Interesting discussion and all that um look for uh look for our look for our interview is tentatively gonna going to happen see you next week probably mm-hmm. next weekend sunday um yeah my media recommendation which i do on and off sometimes i usually try to do it every podcast uh i saw a documentary i don't know if you've seen this but uh it's knocked down the house it's on netflix it's about Ooh, yeah um, it features four uh features four yeah. uh women AOC, young cory bush Corey bush um, and then the lady two, from West Virginia. Um, yep, I remember her. Who challenged? Oh yeah, uh, she's actually running for Senate again. Oh her? Really? Yeah. I know Cory Bush is running again too. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, this movie was really great, and I mean, it focuses like seventy five percent on uh, AOC, but uh, it shows just how uh, just how interesting things are getting in that district. With uh, it really shows the difference between progressive democrats who i consider myself to be a part of and moderate democrats which a lot of my friends are a part of but um yeah it shows the difference between those and um it's a really interesting kind of emotional movie really fun to watch so yeah anyone who's interested in that i'd very much recommend that so yeah thanks for thanks for being on here good luck on your regents yeah. exams good luck uh, with finals They're tough. i i am kind of nervous but uh you know, I've taken all the practice regions. Like, they're all available on a website. So, yeah. have you seen the website yet? Oh, uh, I wasn't shown this. Yeah, it's, um, if you just type in Algebra 1 regions, like, it'll show you uh every single regions that ever existed, and you can take them, you know. It's, that's very helpful. But, yeah, um, 
So yeah, good luck on those. Yeah, uh, good luck. Good luck to any kid listening to this uh, yeah. final exams coming up. Uh, we thank you guys for being a big part of our audience. We're getting good numbers, so thank thank you guys. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So have a good one. I really appreciate yeah. it. Uh. See so yeah, you. Bye.